Welcome back to Roots Music History. On this podcast, we talk about the stories behind songs and legends, as well as new up-and-coming artists in a playlist called History in the Making. On today's episode, we are talking about the story behind the iconic song, Old Lang Syne. It's only appropriate we talk about the story behind this New Year's Eve song, considering it's been played every single New Year's Eve for decades since Guy Lombardo played it at the stroke of midnight on New Year's Eve in New York City for the very first first time. The year was 1929. The stock market had just crashed and spirits were low to say the least. Guy Lombardo had been playing at the Roosevelt Hotel with his band, I think they were called the Royal Canadians, since October of 1929, playing at the restaurant and grill. And they were the band that was going to play the New Year's Eve set that would be broadcast on the radio to Americans everywhere. As soon as the clock hit midnight, Guy Lombardo picked up his violin and he, along with his 10-piece band, started playing the old Scottish tune, Old Lang Syne. The song went across the radio and Americans everywhere who were listening to the radio that New Year's Eve in their living rooms with their families, they all heard the song for the very first time. Now the song Old Lang Syne was actually a favorite of Guy Lombardo's. It was already in the repertoire for he and his 10-piece band. Guy Lombardo had first heard the song as a teenager, actually. He grew up in a town called London, Ontario. You may or may not know this, but the Scots have a very long history and connection with Canada. Trouble started in Scotland around 1688 when their King James was exiled from Scotland to France. This caused an absolute uproar amongst everyone who supported King James, mainly the Catholics. The Catholics truly believed God had appointed King James to be in power. The Catholics believed in general God can appoint people to be in power. The Protestants did not believe that. The Protestants were not agreeing with King James. The Protestants Protestants actually really liked King James' daughter, Mary, I think was her name. They wanted his daughter to be on the throne, not King James. In lieu of this exile of King James, a political movement started sweeping across Scotland called the Jacobite Movement. The Jacobites were basically just supporters of King James. They were comprised of mainly Catholics who believed Parliament had really done something wrong by removing King James from the throne. They genuinely believed Parliament was going against God and against God's will. I think in 1688 and in the early 1700s, a lot of Scots believed this was just a phase. Kind of like COVID. When COVID hit, everyone kind of sat there thinking, is this going to go away? Or the Dust Bowl or really any other event in history. When something dramatic happens, a lot of people think this is just short term. But as the 1700s went on, tensions in Scotland became worse and worse. In 1707, a document was signed declaring that entire region as Great Britain. So the old Scotland was now gone in 1707. A lot of people worried the old Scotland would lose all of its traditions and its culture with this change. Because not only were they losing their land, Scotland, to becoming Great Britain, but they had also lost their old king, King James. They were also facing a huge exile of people leaving Scotland due to the political tensions. I mean, the Jacobite movement was not just little riots in the street like we saw in COVID. They were overtaking castles and this was battle after battle after battle for at least 10 years. Canada became a really hot spot for Scottish migrants. Once a few people from Scotland came to Canada, more and more started flocking to the areas just so they could be around people that they knew. 
There was a short period of time in the early 1700s when the political tensions did die down a little bit. During that time, many of the Scots who thought this was just a phase were absolutely relieved. If they were thinking about leaving Scotland and going to Canada or going to New York City, they were rethinking that decision. After King James died, his son ended up becoming the King of France. And at the time that his son was becoming king in France, Great Britain, which included the old Scotland, had a new king who was Protestant with the Throning of this new king, the Jacobites were born again. And it was around this time in the mid 1700s that a man named Robert Burns was born. And Robert Burns is going to play a very important role in this story. And that's why I'm going into the political tensions that were going on in Scotland during the 1700s, because it's important to the story and it's important to the writing of Old Lang Syne. The Jacobites were really upset. They wanted King James' son to be their king. They didn't believe that this new king was their actual king. They thought that it was literally against God's will for him to even be in power in the first place. But the Jacobites were not just rioting in the street. They actually had funding and they actually formed troops. And King James' son was funding pretty much all of it. King James' son was like the George Soros of the Jacobite movement. The Jacobite troops grew to, I think it was around 20,000 people. It was enormous. And they would go around the old lands of Scotland, which obviously was Great Britain, overtaking castle after castle after castle. The second uprising in Jacobitism, I don't know if that's the right word, but the second uprising was way worse than the first because this time they were organized and they had money and they had troops. So a lot of the Scots who decided to stay in Scotland when things had kind of died down in the early 1700s were now faced with straight up political warfare. The Scots who were able to leave Scotland did migrate to Canada primarily and also obviously New York City, but a lot of them did go to Canada and a lot of them went to London, Ontario, where Guy Lombardo was born. Now Guy Lombardo was born in the early 1900s, so by then the Scots were extremely established in Canada, but they were still singing this old song, Old Lang Syne. It was a song they would play at the end of a dinner party when everyone was parting ways, or they would just hum it as they were walking out of a neighbor's house. Now, Guy Lombardo never really thought anything of this song other than the fact he liked it. He had no idea the weight this song had and the meaning behind it from the old country of Scotland. He did not know about the Jacobite movement. He did not know about King James. He did not know any of this. The fact the song Old Lang Syne was preserved in the first place is a remarkable feat. And we do owe it all to that man I mentioned, Robert Burns, who was born in the mid-1700s in the countryside of Scotland. Robert Burns was born in 1759, right in the heat of the Jacobite uprising. Robert was the firstborn to his parents, but he would go on to have six other siblings. His teacher was just a guy who lived in the village. He just lived there and offered to teach all of the kids in the village reading and math in exchange for goods and services from the other households. There was one diary excerpt where someone describes Robert Burns as a child and says that he was quiet and shy. They even mentioned that they thought he might be sad, but then they kind of changed that and said, well, maybe not sad, but he's definitely just quiet and thoughtful. He didn't have a lot of friends. Obviously, growing up in a small village, you don't have that many friends to choose from anyway, but he was always observing the world around him. 
Robert Burns himself kept a diary, which was actually called a commonplace book. A lot of people in this time period, all the way through the 1930s and 40s, kept these books. They were called commonplace books. It was just a place, a depository, if you will, where you would put all of your thoughts and ideas, some diary entries. You know, you might say what you did that day or how much you paid for something, or they would write down the weather. They would track the weather that way. But also it was just kind of a place where you would also make lists, you know, in the same way that we would make a grocery list or something like that. It was just called a commonplace book because there wasn't really any rhyme or reason or continuity to the book, but it was a place where someone would be writing in it every single day. Like I said, many people kept these commonplace books. People who experienced some sort of fame had their commonplace book published. Mark Twain, for example, had a commonplace book. And Robert Burns also had a commonplace book. And in this commonplace book, he would talk about the people around him. He talked about his teacher in this book. He talked about his elder. You can get the book on Amazon. I'll put it in the description down below so that you can check it out. His commonplace book is one of his most cherished books, but I would say his number one most cherished book growing up was a handwritten book that his father wrote for him called A Manual for Religious Belief. This was also published in lieu of Robert Burns' fame. You can also find it on Amazon and I'm also linking it down below. As tensions started to grow in Great Britain and the old lands of Scotland, Robert Burns became increasingly fascinated with the old Scotland literature. He wanted to be sure to preserve as much of it as he could. He was worried for good reason. The old literature would become obsolete. So Robert really made a point to write in standard English that could be sent to other countries and other people could recognize the dialect because a lot of the old literature was still written in Gaelic or in a very old Scottish tongue not many people spoke. When Robert Burns turned 27, he published his very very first piece of work in 1786. It was in this same year he married his wife and also heard an old man singing Old Lang Syne and transcribed the song with pen and paper. Burns admits he did not write the song, but I think that Robert Burns might have gotten something wrong here because after Robert Burns put the song onto paper, he sent the song to the Scots Musical Museum in 1788. When he sent this song, he wrote in his letter, quote, the following song, an old song of the olden times, and which has never been in print nor even in manuscript until I took it down from an old man. So Robert Burns truly believed this song had never been written before, and he wanted to preserve it in the same way that he was preserving other pieces of work from the old Scottish culture. But actually, the very first publication of Old Lang Syne, arguably, can be traced back to a man named Sir Robert Ayton. Sir Robert Ayton died in six 1638, but he had a written version of a song, well, a poem called Old Long Sign. Sounds very familiar. Many people believe Old Long Sign inspired multiple poets and multiple writers after its publication to use variations of that piece of work in their own. So Old Long Sign had all of these different bits and pieces taken away from it into other pieces of work. I think a lot of things got lost, which makes it very confusing. Who was the person who actually wrote it. And I was curious what Old Long Sign was from beginning to end. I wanted to find the original piece of work. And if you would like to watch the video where I go through every single stanza of Old Long Sign and every single stanza of Old Lang Sign, I do that in a members only video. If you look at the bottom of the video here where the play bar is, there's a button that says join. You can join as a member. And as a third level member, I have a whole library of videos for members only where I post 
longer, more casual supplements to the Roots documentaries that are published on this main page. But I will just quickly say there are several similarities. That's a huge understatement between old long sign and old lang sign. It reminds me so much of the song The Devil Went Down to Georgia. The Devil Went Down to Georgia was probably my very first Roots documentary. Or no, the first one was Leonard Skinner. But the story behind the song The Devil Went Down to Georgia was one of my very first Roots documentaries. In that Roots documentary, I talk about a poem called The Whippoorwill. And The Whippoorwill is literally word for word the song The Devil Went Down to Georgia. Well, maybe not word for word, but it's very, very close. And I was convinced the song The Devil went down to Georgia was written and based off of the mountain whippoorwill poem. And then one day I found it. I found an interview from Charlie Daniels where he says the song quote might have been inspired by the poem the mountain whippoorwill. And he says it so fast in one of his interviews. He mumbles the mountain whippoorwill like you wouldn't even know what he is saying. He's like, I don't know. It might have had something to do with it. I might have been inspired by the mountain whippoorwill. And it's, it's literally like that's the song. The devil jumped up on Hickory Stump and said, boy, let me tell you what. There are phrases that are just exact duplicates from the poem. And just the rhythm of the poem is the exact same rhythm as the devil went down to Georgia. The main character's name is very similar. If you're interested in that story and in the similarities between the mountain whippoorwill and the devil went down to Georgia, I will link that video in the description down below. Just know that it's one of the very first videos I made on this channel. So it might be a different quality. The camera was different. Everything was different, but it's still a good story and you'll still get the meat and potatoes from it. But here we go with Old Long Syne, the very first line from Old Long Syne. Should old acquaintance be forgot and never thought upon? Should old acquaintance be forgot? Sounds familiar. And then you have kind of this chorus, right? And it's pretty much exactly the same. That thou canst never once reflect on Old Long Syne. On Old Long Syne, my Joe. In Old Long Syne. That thou canst never once reflect in Old Long Syne. So this was pretty exciting. So I think it's safe to say that Old Long Syne is actually the very first writing of the song Old Lang Syne. Even though Robert Burns, when he wrote down his version, obviously used different words. The tune changed a little bit over time with different variations of this. But Robert Burns wasn't the first person to change Old Long Syne. Like I said, Old Long Syne was published in 1711. And since then, multiple people had used parts of it here and there in their works. So I think it was a song that came out and people just kind of changed it, kind of like the national anthem. I have a Roots documentary on the story behind the Star Spangled Banner. And in that, I talk about how the Star Spangled Banner was originally the song for the men's society that they would play in between dinner and fun cocktails and dancing and stuff like that. There's so much more to that story. It's kind of like that with Old Lang Syne. People just love it. It and it is just used over and over in different ways and different variations and people put in their own lyrics and you have this layer cake. It's difficult to get to the bottom of that layer cake, but the song Old Lang Syne, written in that old Gaelic, old Scottish tongue, was published in 1711. And remember, that union was signed in 1707 that eliminated Scotland as a country and joined it under Great Britain, under this new king. That was just a few years after King James had been exiled from his motherland. And the song Old Lang Syne is somewhat sad, but it's also so fond and happy. It's about looking back on old friends
friends and looking back on old times and the good old days, not being sad. You don't have that anymore, but being so enormously grateful you experienced it in the first place. That's the point of the song. It was such an important song for the Scots. They sang it not only at dinners when they would be saying goodbye or parting ways, but they would also play it at funerals. Anytime one chapter was ending and a new chapter was beginning, you would hear that song Old Lang Syne or some rendition of it. I don't think Robert Burns necessarily realized how many renditions of that tune had been done or how many times other poets and other writers had taken parts of Old Lang Syne and published them in their own works because Robert Burns is walking down the street and hears this man singing a song, writes it down, and he truly believes this song has never been written before. You know, Old Lang Syne was written in 1711 and obviously had changed and grown into this other type of song. For all we know, the guy singing Old Lang Syne could have just been a drunk, homeless guy making up words to this tune that everybody was kind of a humming. And Robert Burns could have been like, wow, that is such a deep incredible song that I have never heard before and it's never been published before. Like this, this old man singing it could have been completely out of his mind. The song ended up being a generational classic. A lot of people joke Old Lang Syne is the most popular song in the world and nobody actually knows all of the verses. Very similar to the song Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen. I talk about Hallelujah in another Roots documentary too. I talk about everything that happened to Leonard Cohen that led him to the moment when he wrote all 113 verses to Hallelujah. Yes, you heard me right. There are over 100 verses, arguably 113, not to be exact, of Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen. Nobody has heard all of them. And it kind of seems like Old Lang Syne is like that, where it was just a song that had morphed and changed. People would just kind of hum their own words to it and come up with their own stuff. Now, whether this old man singing it was singing the exact words that everyone was singing, uh, we don't know. <laughs> but the chorus obviously was always the same. For Old Lang Syne, my dear, for Old Lang Syne. It is so similar to Old Lang Syne. I can't help but think people in Scotland were singing Old Lang Syne for the longest time. And over the years, it just sort of changed to Old Lang Syne. So it's safe to say that if Robert Ayton died in 1638, I think it's safe to say the song Old Lang Syne was actually written in the 1600s in Scotland. Now, let's go back and have a full circle moment because Guy Lombardo is now growing up in London, Ontario in the early 1900s, and he is hearing the Scots who migrated from Scotland singing Old Lang Syne, and he is now learning the song hundreds of years later. A song that was written in the 1600s is still being sung in the 1900s in Canada. Canada in a completely different country. It's so important to realize that for the Scots who sang this song, the song meant so much more to them than just a parting song, than just a song where you just kind of hummed it and said goodbye. No, this song was all they had left of their old country. This was all they had left of the old Scotland. Even though Robert Burns sent the song to the National Music Museum in 1788, the song wasn't actually published until after Robert Burns' death in 
1797. Now, by the late 1700s, there were about 15,000 migrants in Canada. The number was growing because political tensions with the Jacobites and the kings and the Protestants and the Catholics, those tensions were growing and growing and growing. Things were getting increasingly worse in Scotland and people were continuing to migrate over to Canada or to New York City. Guy Lombardo just really liked hearing the song. He liked the ditty. He liked the words. Obviously, it's a very likable song. He had no idea the meaning behind the song clearly until he was much older. When Guy Lombardo chose to play that song in 1929, the stock market had just crashed a couple months before. So the song had a whole new meaning to everyone who heard it in America on that New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, technically, since it was played at midnight. It brought on a whole new meaning of times long ago, before the Great Depression, before things were hard, before they felt like they were losing everything. I think that's what's so powerful about the song, Old Lang Syne, because no matter where you are in the world, no matter where you are in your life, you're going to have ups and downs. You're going to have a high tide and a low tide. And it's in those moments of low tide that you're looking back on old times since. How good things maybe used to be. How good things were when Trump was president. The door was wide open. I had to walk through. I had to walk through. I think that is why the song has lived on for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. That's just something about human nature and about social and political ebbs and flows that is never going to change. Societies collapse. Countries are overthrown. War breaks out. Losing your culture, losing your country is something that is always a possibility. And no matter what happens in this world, the song Old Lang Syne is always going to be there to reminisce on old times since. So when you hear the song Old Lang Syne on this New Year's Eve, I hope that you remember Robert Burns and remember the Jacobite movement and the Scots. Remember everything that they lost, but more importantly, everything they brought over to Canada and to America. I hope the song also makes people realize how connected we all are. We all experience the same things. If you have not read diaries from the 17 or 1800s or literature from the 17 or 1600s even, I highly recommend it. It just reminds you of how humans do not change. This world does not change. Whatever we are experiencing today is nothing new. It has been experienced by generations and generations and generations. The most important thing we can do today is read this literature from 1600, 1700, 1800, 1900. Read historic literature. Read what people were saying. Read what people were doing. And then when you see these issues coming at you in modern day, you realize this is not anything new. We are not reinventing the wheel. And then the world is just one big force of good versus evil. I really hope that you enjoyed the story behind the song Old Lang Syne. If you like this type of content, don't forget to subscribe and hit the thumbs up button and I will see you on the next Roots Rockumentary. Hungry for the road all my life Thirsty for adventure all my youth Chasing all my freedoms down Liberty Avenue